Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Welcome, everybody, back to Gestational Diabetes Club. Now, today we have a returning guest, which is super exciting. So we're going to be doing a birth story again today with the lovely Elise, who you've heard from in a previous episode already. And we left off the end of that podcast episode around halfway through Elise's second pregnancy with gestational diabetes. So today we're going to hear from her because she has now given birth to her beautiful second baby. So we're going to hear about how everything went towards the end of that second pregnancy and during that birth. So I'm really, really excited for this conversation. I know that you will all get a lot out of it. But if you haven't listened to the first part, then please go back and listen to that. And then you'll be up to speed on everything that's happened with Elise. But welcome, Elise. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for inviting me back. I'm doing really well. Thank you. I'm excited to get into this chat. That's so good to hear. And okay, let's just recap things a little bit. Thank you so much for coming on and just share who you are and who's in your family now um, and a little, little update. Maybe just do a quick recap of everything that did go on for you in your first pregnancy and the start of your second pregnancy, just so that we are all familiar with you. But like I said to everybody, like go back and listen to the first episode for the full details. But yeah, I think let's just do a little recap. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, So I'm Elise. uh, I'm 34 and I live in Melbourne um, with my partner, Jesse. I had Ollie in May 2020. um, So he's three and I gave birth to my second son, Jordan, uh, in June um, of this year. So he's officially three months this week. Um, So I guess in terms of my previous pregnancy, it was uh, the majority of it was during COVID. Um, so as you can imagine, um, very limited support, especially towards the end of the pregnancy. Uh, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes quite early on, um, and was given, um, medication quite early on. Um, so I was on Nova Rapid, uh, for my meals and protophane for my fasting, um, sugar levels. Um, and I was kind of winging it the whole time um, and that led to um, some issues towards the end of the pregnancy uh, where my sugars were dropping quite low and I was having some hypoglycemic episodes um, and uh, that caused some issues with the birth. So Ollie was born uh, not breathing, needing resuscitation um, and needing to be in the NICU and special care for about nine days post-birth. Um, and that's due to suspected placental issues, um, uh, placenta dysfunction, um, allegedly. So that was quite traumatic. Um, he's doing really well now. Um, but obviously that was something that kind of came up, um, in this pregnancy that I was a bit concerned about, um, going into that birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we worked together at the start of your, well, not really the start, around that midpoint of your mm. second pregnancy where you also had gestational diabetes. So mm. I haven't really 
heard much about what's happened for you since we stopped working together then. So again, do you want to just bring everybody up to speed in terms of how the start of that pregnancy journey was and, you know, what we spoke about on our last recording and what happened since then? And um, we'll, we'll get into some specific questions around it, but yeah, take it away. Yeah, so um, I guess the journey to conceiving Jordan was long. Um, I uh, had two miscarriages between uh, giving birth to Ollie and conceiving Jordan. Um, and uh, I guess a lot of my concern and the doctor's concern was maybe that my weight um, could have been a contributing factor. Um, so that was always at the forefront of my mind. So coming into this pregnancy, I was really determined to gain some um, extra external support outside of the hospital system. Um, so that's why I reached out to you. Um, I reached out to a, a another dietitian prior to working with you and prior to being diagnosed with gestational diabetes um, and was also seeing a online um, PT and coach trying to make sure that um, I'm moving my body and 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 at kind of as healthy as I can be going into this pregnancy. Um, so I was diagnosed uh, just with a fasting blood test um, within the first trimester. I was diagnosed with um, gestational diabetes um, and I was put on protophane insulin for my fasting levels um, relatively early on uh, in my second trimester when I started working with you, I think. Um, so working with you, was amazing. It was so different to my first experience with gestational diabetes, just because I had that accountability and that extra support and that education um, that I didn't receive with Ollie. Um, so my levels were relatively stable um, throughout the whole pregnancy. Um, I only had one uh, hyperglycemic episode, uh, which was unexplained, uh, but wasn't a cause for concern. Um, and I was only really starting to take Nova Rapid for my post um, meal um, numbers within the last week, actually, of my pr- um, pregnancy. So I was trying to hold off as much as I can, just because there was part of me that was a little concerned, um, given what happened with Ollie, that I, you know, might give myself too much insulin, and that would lead to, um, you know, low numbers and things like that. So fortunately, I was able to kind of hold off until the very end. Um, where I was taking it, um, not with every meal, not every day, but just as I needed. Um, and I felt confident at that point after having worked with you that I could kind of determine, you know, the carb content and, and how much insulin I should be giving myself, um, to maintain that kind of, um, optimal number. So, um, I guess the, the pregnancy itself was really, um, uh, uneventful. Everything was going well. Um, towards the end of the pregnancy, my numbers, uh, my fasting levels did stabilize a little bit. Um, and I required less protophate, um, which kind of, I don't know, was a red flag for me. And I thought I need to go get this checked. So I was definitely, um, more proactive this time around in going to, um, the assessment center, getting checked every time I was concerned, even in the slightest. Um, so I had a few visits to the hospital just for some monitoring, um, and everything was always fine. So I'm glad I did that. Um, and, uh, they were, they were a fantastic team. They were well aware of um, what was going on for me. Um, which again was very different to the first pregnancy where I, I kind of felt like I was doing it on my own. Um, so that's the pregnancy side of things. I don't know if you want to get into the birth. <laughs> yes. 
We can talk about the birth in a second. And I just want to reassure everybody listening that sometimes it actually can be completely normal when your blood sugar does start to stabilize or even lower a little bit towards that end of the pregnancy because essentially what happens in terms of the hormones that are produced like from the placenta primarily is that you get a bit of a a peak towards, well, let's say like around like 28 to 33 weeks, but I say that really, really loosely because it happens really differently for everybody where we get this peak of like the a hormonal surge, I suppose, where you get a build up and a build up and a build up and then those numbers can get really, really tricky to manage it around that time. But then it does start to just kind of level out a bit in terms of the hormone production. So numbers can be a lot easier to manage. But like you said, that can be a real mind game because you can be like, oh my God, what's what's happened? Like everything was so hard and it was getting harder, it was getting worse. And so then your immediate reaction might be to think like, oh my God, is something wrong? If all of a sudden your numbers are way easier to manage. Um, I still think you, you did exactly the right thing there. And to everybody, if you are worried, like always go and get it checked because I also can't say with complete confidence here that there's nothing wrong going on when that happens. So you need to make sure that everything is fine with Bub, with the placenta, and that everything is still, you know, just working normally. Um, Of course, that's really important. But yeah, please know that sometimes that can be a really normal process of physiology and your body. But well done on being proactive Mm. and making sure you were getting everything checked off. Um, Yeah, I remember messaging you and being like, it seems too good to be true. What's going on? Um, and and it was it was fine um but i guess given my history they appreciated that i i just went in to get checked just in case um and i think that actually led to a better birthing experience as well because i was kind of familiar with everyone at that point because i'd gone in so frequently um so that was actually kind of a good thing in the end totally and they're never going to turn you away no there is nothing that a hospital staff member wants less than a sick baby um, and a sick pregnant woman, okay? So mm. best case scenario is that you get to go and see them. They all smile at you and say, oh, how exciting. You're having your baby soon and there's nothing yeah. wrong going home and that you wasted a little bit of time, but it's not a waste of time. Um, and it's not a waste of any hospital staff member's time either. That's exactly what they are there for as someone who used to work in a hospital best day ever when somebody comes in and there's nothing wrong and you get to say, go home, relax, everything's good. So never yep. feel like you're burdening anybody. Um, okay. So there were no, it doesn't sound like there were any other real complications towards the end of your pregnancy, right? No, no. Everything went smoothly. I mean, um, I did go in the night before my cesarean to get checked again because I think at that point my mum was playing tricks on me and I just wanted to double check. Um, but no, everything was fine. Bob just, you know, liked to hide in really, um, really annoying places where, you know, there were times I couldn't feel him. But yeah, otherwise everything was good. Sure, sure, sure. Well, that's another good message. Like if you ever yes. feel Bob stop moving, go, just mm-hmm. go get checked. And again, everyone Absolutely. is having the best day. If you get to the hospital and all of a sudden Bob is like swimming around having the best time doing backflips cool. No worries. You're not wasting anyone's time. You always just go to the hospital if you're not sure. Anyway, that was a spoiler. So you had a planned cesarean. Let's talk through all of that because I was about to ask whether you had a birth plan in place and whether things really went according to plan this time. So what was the situation having conversations around 
what you were going to do in terms of the birth. Yeah. So um, because of the complications I'd had with Ollie, um, I recalled the midwives at the previous hospital. So I did birth at a different hospital this time. Um, kind of advised that potentially I could or should get Bub out a bit sooner than I did with Ollie. So with Ollie, I had him at 38 weeks. Um, and so I discussed that with my team here, but everyone seemed, you know, pretty confident that because I was managing my gestational diabetes really well this time, my levels were really well um, managed, there was no need for Bub to come out any sooner than um, even 39 weeks. So they were happy for me to go up until 39 weeks. Um, I guess we ended up still having to have him at 38 weeks because of um, scheduling issues. So I actually was scheduled in for a specific date and they called me um, a couple of days beforehand saying, we actually need to change that. Do you mind coming in tomorrow? So I was like, okay, crap. The house is still a mess. I haven't organized care for Ollie. Um, but yeah, I'm sure let's just go get this baby out. So um, yeah, so we went in um, first thing in the morning and by about midday he was out. Um, and so I'd had some um, very lengthy discussions with the team because I had just social diabetes. I was part of the high risk clinic, um, which was actually fantastic in that there was more continuity of care. I kind of see, saw the same doctors and the same midwives at every appointment, which I really appreciated. Um, so I had a good long chat about my concerns, given my history. Um, and I guess what my requests are in, in terms of the birth and, and what I would like to ha- have happen. Um, if possible. So I did have a um, student midwife who kind of helped advocate for me, but I pr- felt pretty confident um, in, in speaking up for myself. And and I did a lot of research this time around. I listened to a lot of podcasts um, mm-hmm. about what your rights are in terms of um, particularly a C-section and what can and can't be done um, in a C-section. Um, so I requested and I did um, have delayed um, cord clamping this time around, which for Ollie, I didn't even know that was a thing. That was never discussed with me. Uh, and that was um, standard for this hospital. So um, that was just something that was a non-issue um, unless obviously there were, you know, there was a medical need for for that not to to have happen. Um, and uh, we requested our own music. Um, my midwife was able to come in with me, um, particularly for the um, spinal insertion because my partner wasn't allowed in so it was nice to have her in there holding my hand having that support um in the theater which was amazing um and the main thing I wanted was skin on skin so I'd had issues with breastfeeding um with Ollie because he was taken directly to the NICU so I wasn't able to have skin on skin for a while which affected um, my breastfeeding journey with him so I really wanted to have that um, immediate skin on skin time so that was fantastic. I went in, um, my gown was put in the other way around. They were ready for him to just come straight on me, um, which he was, which was amazing. So the minute he was taken out, checked over quickly, he was straight on me and he was on me for the remainder of that time that I was in theatre um, until very briefly at the end where he was taken to recovery with my partner. Um, but I, I, you know, was quite quickly taken in there with him after that um, and was able to breastfeed straight away which was incredible compared to um, my previous pregnancy. So um, I, I, I can't fault that experience at all. It was fantastic. It was so calm. Everyone was so lovely. Um, I got what I kind of hoped for in the end. 
Um, and I, I remember going in there um, and everyone reassuring me, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And, you know, I, I said to them, it wasn't fine last time. So, you know, don't blame me for having these concerns. Um, and he came out crying straight away. That's the first thing I wanted to hear because I didn't hear that with Ollie. Um, so I made sure he was crying, bawling, he was screaming. And for me, that was like, yes, that's what I wanted to hear. Um, and it was incredible. So yeah, very different experience, a very healing experience um, compared to my first. Oh my gosh, I've got goosebumps listening <laughs> to that because, you know, for anybody who hasn't listened to that first episode and you are jumping in right now, the last birth was pretty traumatic with yes. Ollie. And, you know, that was so hard to hear about how all of that happened for you. And so to hear that this was such a positive experience, that is just amazing. And I, I mean, there's so much that I could touch on there, I suppose. So firstly, it was it's so full on that mm. you had to go in the very next day when you hadn't planned to go in that early for your C-section. And I don't know, did you have like your bag packed and everything like that? Yes. Fortunately, yes. I have all of that ready to go. My mum was on standby. Um, and I guess because I didn't go into um, spontaneous labour, I'm sure that's what most pe- women would experience. So, um, yeah. yeah, I was I was ready to go. Um, but I think it was just it hadn't actually set in yet. It was a bit of a shock to the system that, oh, this is – major surgery and I'm going in tomorrow. Um, I hadn't really gotten my head around it yet, but um, it actually worked. Ricky in the band yeah, yeah, I hadn't actually told anyone, so I, I kind of sent them a message when Bob was born saying, surprise, like he's here. Um, they were all expecting it a couple of days later. So that was actually nice and I didn't get the text messages, you know, how's everything going, what's going on. Um, it was just, yeah, it was nice and calm and it was just kind of our moment to enjoy that until we were ready to tell everyone um, that yeah. he'd arrived. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, like, some of those things that you did request, like, around music and delayed cord clamping and skin-on-skin time. Were there any other specific requests that you made? Just because I'm thinking about first-time mums who might be listening who might not know what they don't know, like you in that mm-hmm. first pregnancy. Um, is there anything else that you haven't mentioned that you did ask for? Um, the only other thing I can remember is they asked me what I wanted to do with my placenta. Um, mm. And I hadn't really thought that far, um, but there was an option if I wanted to take it home or um, mm. I know some people, you know, make it into jewellery or pills that they can um, ingest. Um, I just got a photo of it and then let them <laughs> do what they wanted. I Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, I think the, the the important thing was um, having Bub with me the whole time. So at the previous hospital, I know generally what happens is um, mum's still on the table getting stitched up and everything and Bub's taken quite quickly with partner into recovery um, and there could be quite a, a long you know period of time where they're separated and I really pushed for that not to happen um, and I know um, – there, there are issues, I think, when it comes to scheduling of midwives. So I've listened to a few podcasts where oftentimes hospitals will say no because, you know, then you need a midwife to stay in the theatre and a midwife to go with Bub. Um, and fortunately, because I'd had a student midwife, that actually wasn't a problem. So um, that worked out really well in my favour in that the student midwife stayed with me in the theatre um, and the hospital midwife went with my partner and Bub. 
Um, so that's always something to consider, but I, I have been advised that you can put your foot down and it's a hospital problem that they have to, to work out. It's not a you problem. So if that's really important, make sure you speak up and, and you really push for that. That's so interesting. It's funny how much, um, how much makes more sense when you realize that it's like a logistics issue. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. It's, um, yeah, sometimes it's just, you don't even think about that, but it's just staffing and logistics and, mm. Uh, you, you want to get frustrated, but I, I have to say knowing what it's like on the other side of the curtain, when you're a hospital staff member, they must be in a world of pain as well <laughs> with mm, staffing and, and all of that and constantly being short staffed and overworked. And so absolutely speak up for your rights, but also don't feel angry when mm. sometimes it is just like, oh, well, that's how they're doing things because of logistics. But, you know, they will always accommodate once you do speak up about preferences and things like that. But good tip. Good to know. Yeah. Um, speak up early because I, yeah. I didn't want to just kind of Dump throw it on them on yeah. the day. Um, we had a lot of conversation with my student midwife, with the team, with her placement um, coordinator to make sure that it all ran smoothly on the day. Yeah, I think that the best advice is probably, I mean, I should ask you, I've never had a baby, but <laughs> from what I gather is to ask as many questions as you can to mm -hmm. your midwife, obstetrician, GP, whoever is looking after you in, you know, early on in your pregnancy, as soon as you can really about your birth and don't place all your emphasis on the birth, but just find out all of your options and find mm -hmm. out what the pros and cons are of each of them so that you can go into it feeling really informed. Um, and amazing that then, you know, he cried and you got the skin on skin and all of that sort of stuff. Did you get that real rush of love and just that feeling that everyone, everyone talks yeah. about? Yeah, absolutely. In, in those initial moments, yes. Um, straight away, he was so different to Ollie. Like it, it looked like he could have been, you know, from a completely different set of parents in, in how mm -hmm. different he looked, but um, yeah, the minute he was on me, he settled and it was amazing. It was, yeah, it was really the best day. When did, um, Ollie get to meet him? So we, um, decided against having Ollie come to the hospital. So we waited until we were discharged. Um, so we were in hospital, I was in hospital, sorry, for two nights and then discharged on the third day. Um, and that's when, when he met. Yeah. Yeah. And how was he when he got to meet him? Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. He, because we'd FaceTimed from the hospital. So he was aware of, you know, where we were, what we we're doing, you know, what was going on. Um, the initial kind of week or so while, you know, whilst the novelty hadn't worn off yet was beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, with the toddler, change of routine, change of our priorities, um, that obviously caused some issues. Um, you know, in those early days, but he's, yeah, he's amazing. He loves being a big brother. He loves, you know, playing with Jordan now that Jordan's a bit older and can smile and kind of giggle and, and play back. It's really nice to see them together. Yeah. It must be tricky though, trying to manage a toddler and a newborn at the same time. I guess how mums do it, especially when I suppose you, do you have restrictions on like the amount of weight you're allowed to pick up and things like that? And so probably not yeah. allowed to pick up Ollie and whatnot. Yes, in the first six weeks, yes. Uh, but we kind of prepared for that prior to the birth. So because I was heavily pregnant, my back was sore, um, we kind of put some some things in place. We put like a little set letter up to the change table and, you know, he was already potty trained, thank goodness. Um, so he was already prepared for the fact that I couldn't really lift him up for those first six weeks. Um, 
and that was fine. Like he understood and, and he was a, you know, he's three. He can comprehend that something big's happened. Um, so that, that in itself didn't cause issues, but it was more just, you know, why can't mommy come and play with me? And, uh, you know, why can't she get on the floor and things like that? That's probably where the frustration, um, kind of was coming from. Yeah. 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 And I, I guess that's always going to happen when a toddler only knows themselves as the center yes. of the universe. Right. So understandable from his perspective, but, yes. um, it's nice if they're, you know, they're getting along and they're happy little brothers. <laughs> it's very cute. And okay. Before we talk about your recovery, I have another question that's just kind of popped into my head and it's okay if you don't want to answer this, but I'm just thinking like, is there any part of you that is, I don't know, that has regrets that you didn't have a vaginal birth. I'm not trying to press like morals or opinions on anybody. I just know that it's something that comes up for some people. One, I don't even know if you finished, you know, decided to finish having children or what might happen. No, we're done. But But I just think that's an interesting question that I may as well ask if you're open to sharing about that. Yeah. um, No, I've, I've never really... I don't know. I think um, my mum's only ever had C-sections. So every time we spoke about birth, we were just talking about, you know, C-sections. Um, I think because of my weight and my stature, I'm quite short. I'm quite large. Um, and there was always a concern. Um, I don't know where it came from, but I was always concerned about, um, you know, getting stuck in the birthing, like, you know, in the vaginal canal or, you know, developing shoulder dysocia or, you know, I was kind of already preempting that it would be a traumatic birth anyway. Um, so in my mind, I just thought, you know, I've had abdominal surgery before and, you know, I've recovered well, I should be okay um, and I'm not going to be asleep for it. So it was less scary in my mind. So um, no, there's there's no regrets at all. Um, and given that this, I, I guess both C-sections actually in terms of my recovery, Everything went really smoothly. I didn't have any complications. I've recovered really well. Um, so there's, there's not a part of me that kind of thinks, or oh, maybe things would have gone differently if I'd gone down a different path. Um, no, I'm, I'm really happy with the decision I made. And, uh, I don't know, both experiences in terms of, you know, the C section itself and the recovery have been really well. I don't feel like it's limited me being able to exercise or anything like that. Um, I guess the only thing is I am concerned and I'm not planning on having another baby, but I certainly wouldn't want to go through that again because I know of the increased risks of having, you know, multiple C-sections. Um, so that's something that obviously um, I've, I've considered in terms of family planning and, and how many C-sections I I intend to have. Interesting. I See, it's I always learn something here because I don't know all the ins and outs of birth and limitations around how many C-sections you can and can't have and all the risks around it and things like that. So that's that's an interesting one um, and a lovely answer too. And like I said, I, I wasn't trying to lead you in any way with that question or in, imply that anybody should feel any sense of regret if you – regret's maybe the wrong word, but if you can't have like a physiological birth, and I think that all birth is beautiful and I know when when I had – birth with Beth on the podcast. She was mm. so fantastic as well in talking about this and induction and that all births are beautiful births. And I truly believe that. And that's such a nice answer and hopefully reassuring to somebody listening who might feel a little bit of a little bit of that. I don't know. I don't know if it's something people experience, but yeah, I think really nice to know that you can be 
so happy and overjoyed and thrilled about that being your experience. It's really nice and refreshing. Hmm. So great to hear that recovery has been really good. Um, how has breastfeeding been? Knowing that you said that your, it sounds like the milk came in okay, all that kind of stuff. Has there been any challenges there? Um, so no, my milk didn't come in okay. Um, so whilst I was in the hospital, everything seemed to have been going well. Um, I really had hoped to breastfeed this time around, or at least do as much as I can to make sure that that happened for us. Um, so within the hospital, it was fine. Bob was cluster feeding. Um, he latched really well. He latched immediately. I was feeling really good. Um, everything was fine up until we were discharged. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the day after we returned home, so Jordan's, you know, second day at home, he experienced a, um, what they call a brewery. So it was a brief resolved unexplained episode, um, which, uh, my partner found him blue, unresponsive in the bassinet. Um, so it was a huge shock. Um, we called the ambulance. Um, by the time the paramedics were here, Jordan was breathing again, uh, but obviously they wanted to take him into hospital for some monitoring. So we were back into hospital, um, different hospital, um, a local hospital that I was unfamiliar with. Um, so I went in there with him. Um, everything was fine on his end, um, but there were some, I guess, issues in – we were cluster feeding throughout the night and obviously the nurses um, were aware that I was up, you know, for most of the night cluster feeding with Bob. Um, it was fine by me. I was tired, but I kind of expected that going into this journey that that's a normal part of, you know, bringing your milk in. Um, but some of the nurses seem to have had issues with that. Um, and because we were admitted due to potential, you know, respiratory distress or related issues, um, they were concerned that by bug breastfeeding for too long, he was expending a lot of energy, um, and he would be lethargic. And so they, they kind of, um, it end, we ended up being in there for something, or bit, sorry, we ended up being treated for something that we weren't actually admitted for. So they then were concerned about his weight, um, weight loss, um, which we were still within the first week of his birth. Um, he was born at four kilos, so he wasn't a small baby at all. Um, and we'd lost less than 10%, which my understanding is if they lose more than 10%, that's a cause for concern, but less than 10%. Is normal, um, so I wasn't concerned about that. For some reason, the hospital staff there were. So I was essentially told that I needed to limit the time that Bubbles on the boob to ten minutes each boob and give formula and pump. Totally against everything that I'd planned on doing, um, but that really threw me and that threw my confidence. Um, and essentially, I felt like we weren't able to be discharged until we got that all in place. Um, so we left there not really breastfeeding um, and we came home and Bob didn't want to latch anymore and was used to the bottle and used to formula. And so that kind of was the end of our journey, unfortunately, mm -hmm. after that, um, which is really, really frustrating. And if I could go back and give myself advice is just don't listen to them. They're not my midwives. They were not my, my you know, training team. I didn't have to do what they said. Um, but at that point, I was just so desperate to get home that I just kind of went along with whatever they advised because I just want to get Bub home. So that really was a shock to the system and really threw my confidence. Um, and 
yeah, really disappointing, to be honest. Mm. Oh, that's such a big shame. That must have been so scary, just mm. so unbelievably scary to see your new baby blue and mm. you know, in that state. That's, I yeah, I don't have the right words for how scary that must have been. And thank God he's okay. But don't beat yourself up. And especially for taking advice, because I suppose the thing is that like, yes, you could have you could have said no to their advice and things might have been different, but at the same time, things might have been different in terms of what was going on with Jordan. Mm. And so just keep that in mind too, that there's generally a reason that people make the recommendations that they that they make. And so nothing against what you did, but I also just think it's worth asking questions rather than throwing advice in the bin and ask, and this is to everybody listening, like mm. always ask for the rationale behind the recommendations because they might have more of an explanation and I don't know that necessarily the reasons, but they might have said, yeah, he hasn't lost more than 10% of his body weight, but given all of the risks and things like that, we need to make sure that this doesn't progress because X, Y, Z. So there might have been certain considerations in place for the recommendations that they were providing to you and you couldn't have known how things would have turned out. So Mm. it's really disappointing and I'm sure devastating. But at the end of the day, fed is best. Fed is fed best. Is best. Yes. Yeah. You know, people say breast is best, but fed is best. It doesn't matter how that baby gets fed. And yes, there's benefits associated with breastfeeding, but bub's alive, bub's feeding. And that's the yes. main right? And if yeah. bub's driving now. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I think, you know, in um, just looking back, it was the best decision for us. I ended up being diagnosed with postnatal depression and anxiety this time around. Um, so the lack of sleep with Bub being on the boob for so long and just being up at all hours of the night was really impacting on my mental health anyway. Um, and for me to, to access the medication that I needed, um, it was advised, you know, if I was happy to not breastfeed, it was probably best that I put my mental health first. So, um, it all worked out well in the end. Bub is thriving and, you know, um, I, actually broke my hand um five weeks postpartum um so I wasn't able to really feed anyway um it would have been really awkward and uncomfortable for bub um and I wasn't able to lift him out of the cot so um being able to bottle feed and formula feed actually worked out in the end because I needed to rely on you know my mum and my partner to do the feedings anyway so it's yeah (laughs) a whole lot of contributing factors um but yeah, I don't regret the decision. I, I was initially disappointed in how it all played out, um, but Bob doesn't know any different and it's actually worked out best um, for our family anyway. Well, and we don't walk around saying you were breastfed, you were Absolutely bottled. Absolutely not. <laughs> we don't no. know. We don't know. No. Um, I always have so – you bring so much to the table every time. I've always got so <laughs> many questions for you. How would you break your hand? <laughs> Literally, I was six weeks postpartum ready to go out, you know, out into the big wide world and I fell over. I literally just <laughs> fell over, cracking the concrete, lost my balance um, and had a pretty nasty uh, fracture that required surgery. So that was a lot. Um, fortunately, I was already on the medication to help with my mental health. So um, that, yeah, that I think I'm glad I was and I'm glad I was seeing a psychologist at the time because it was an awful thing to have happened so early on. Um but we're at the other end six weeks from having broken it and I finally have functioned in my hand again. 
Thank God. And I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't giggle, but for everyone, we have had, we, Elise and I have chatted. <laughs> and I think it's kind of, um, kind of funny, like trying to imagine you juggling a baby and a toddler oh without gosh. a hand. It's just full on, right? Oh my full gosh. On. It was, um, it was definitely a test of, of just me being able to let go and just trust the people around me because I honestly couldn't really do anything. Um, with a massive cast on my arm. Um, so I really had to just give in and accept the help. And it probably worked out for the better in that I am a lot more relaxed around getting help now. Um, but yeah, certainly not something I expected to have happened so early on, at least anyway. Mm. And I mean, as well, like a great lesson in looking after your mental health. And yes, you know what? There is a really increased risk with gestational diabetes of things like. Um, antenatal depression and so mm. just be on guard for that and notice any thoughts within yourself that don't mm. feel like you and especially if you have a history of that definitely a time where it can bring about more of those feelings um and i think it's such a shame that a lot of people do feel real shame guilt and mm. all those things with gestational diabetes so get help thank god you're getting help and yeah you should be really proud of yourself for how proactive you have been throughout this whole pregnancy and and birth journey, like in terms of being proactive and seeking help in so many different areas. So, yeah, there's, there's so many things we, I could ask you here. So, how are, how are you feeling now in terms of recovery from your C-section and mentally and with the boys and all of that? How's how's everything going? Good. Today, I can say I'm, I'm really happy. Um, Jordan's at an age now where he he feels a lot less fragile. You can kind of play with him a bit more. He has a little personality that's starting to show. Um, and that's always really nice to see, you know, first thing in the morning. Um, he's sleeping really well. Um, not through the night, but I'm not expecting that. Um, I'm just glad that he's healthy and he's, you know, feeding and sleeping really well. Um, everything's really well. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. And I'm, I finally got cleared, um, from my, women's health physio to start exercising again. Um, obviously all my appointments had to kind of be put on hold until I could drive and um, function. Um, and so I'm really excited to get back into some strength training and some exercise and um, yeah, start doing some more things for me, but rather than just for everyone else and for the boys. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. And have you had your six-week follow-up appointment and the oral glucose tolerance test? Yes. Yeah. So, um, I had my oral glucose tolerance test this week, actually. So given all my appointments had been pushed back, I did have it at 12 weeks and I got my results today. Um, all within normal range, um, but a little bit higher than I'd like. So, um, I'm working with my GP, um, around weight management and, um, you know, getting back into exercise and things like that. So. Yeah, I mean it's a work in progress, but I'm glad that I'm I'm within that normal range because um, I was a little concerned given my history that I might be, you know, a bit above what's expected. Right, well, hey, it's a it's a lifelong thing for everybody. I think there's no shame again in what these numbers look like mm. for anybody. And if anything, I think it's such a positive to know this information now because. Mm. What if you'd never got gestational diabetes, you never did this follow-up test, and then down the track, all of a sudden, you had a random blood test, and then, you know, you got diabetes. And mm. I'm talking anybody, not you necessarily individually. That would be awful. But now you have this amazing opportunity to know, 
Well, firstly, hopefully you've got skills and strategies that from working together to fall back on. And you've got this information right before your eyes to know, okay, I need to be proactive about this and really prevent what could happen in your Mm. future. So you get to have more control over what does happen. So amazing work. Good on you for going and getting that test done. (laughs) So many people can feel really nervous about doing something done or getting it done again. Um, and, and what does your diet and lifestyle look like at the moment? If you don't mind sharing. To be honest, those early Sorry. days, um, uh, we were all over the place. So those early days, we we're going to bed at six o'clock. You know, um, I guess the pre-pregnancy, um, I was getting into this kind of unhealthy habit of you know snacking at of a night time where you're watching TV and um, you know I I really noticed when we stopped doing that and we're going a bit early, I actually had lost a bit of weight. Um, so that kind of was. And I open it for me like, whoa, like all of those extra calories can contribute to, you know, weight gain or at least difficulty in losing the weight. So I did lose um, all of the weight that I gained um, during my pregnancy in that first kind of month period. Uh, and then I broke my hand. So um, <laughs> uh, I wasn't able to cook for myself. Um, I even just pushing the pram to go for walks was really challenging. Um, and I guess there was a lot of anxiety around falling over again. So, um, it took me a while to get back out, um, for walks. Um, but now I'm walking, um, admittedly, you know, in the morning, it's really hard to get that first meal of the day in when you've got a baby that you need to feed, a toddler that you need to kind of get ready. And, you know, I tend to find that my my breakfast, you know, 11 o'clock. 12 o'clock by the time I can actually sit down and eat. Um, so that's something I really need to make more of an effort, um, be more conscious about um, and planning ahead a little bit better. Um, but uh, I have gone back to the meal plan that you provided and I'm prepping some of those meals um, because I remember how much I enjoyed them and how much better I felt when I was eating, you know, lots of fruit and veg and things like that. Uh, so... Haven't really started formally exercising yet, but have been going on more walks, especially now that the weather's starting to warm up a bit. Um, but that's kind of the extent of my exercise at the moment. Um, but I feel like I'm in a good place in terms of being able to make better choices. And um, it's just more about preparation now and, and finding the time to kind of plan ahead. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I think that's a really perfect answer because we also go through different seasons of our mm. nutrition and lifestyle and where it can and can't be a priority when you've got a newborn in the house and you've broken your hand and, you know, so much going on that it's hard to have mental space to meal prep. Yep. You're going to be getting out your Tupperware containers necessarily at that point. So I think um, I say this on every single podcast episode. I'm going to make it a tradition now. Meal prep before you give birth, everyone. Stock yes. that freezer up. Stock that freezer up. I think that the most amazing thing is having that structure and plan to come back to when you mm. do feel like you've been a bit chaotic and it's time to reprioritize, refocus, and you've probably got that little spark of motivation again after doing your 12-week follow-up to go back to things. And do you feel like you have the confidence and skills to kind of fall back into routine and do what you were doing. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think having worked with you and getting that education and, you know, having tangible resources that I can go back to. So having those meal plans and things like that, at least just for some ideas and for inspiration. 
um, is really helpful um, because I, I've done it before and I know that I can do it again. It's just, you know, organizing my days a bit better to kind of fit that in um, and making it a priority. Um, but absolutely, yes. I think if I hadn't worked with you, if I hadn't sought that um, external support, I, I, I suspect I would have found myself kind of trying to figure out where to get that, those resources and, and feel like I was winning it a little bit. Um, or I could potentially, you know, with like I did with Ollie, fall into the mindset of, okay, well, I've passed my glucose test, so everything's fine. I can go back to eating normally again or like I used to um, and then find myself having complications down the track. Mm, and it's a new normal, right? Hopefully what you do now feels sustainable and you will find a really nice, sustainable, healthy balance. Mm. And as well, there's no shame in needing to work with somebody in that postpartum period because there's lots to consider when you're in that postpartum phase and there's a lot on your mind. It's hard to prioritize nutrition. You don't necessarily know how to do that. And there's other nutritional needs and things like that mm-hmm. to consider too. So amazing though that you're feeling really self-confident and able to get yourself back into that routine and into the groove of things. So tell me, has your outlook on nutrition since becoming a mother changed at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, I, I find myself often thinking now, okay, I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy for me, but I also really want to be healthy for the boys. And I want to be a really good example for the boys. Um, and thinking about, you know, um, we're planning on doing, you know, introducing solids at six months. And I, I really want to kind of think ahead to, um, you know, what Jordan's life's going to look like and what I can prepare for him and um, being the best role model that I can for for both Ollie and the boys. So um, absolutely, I think, especially now that Ollie's of an age where he does pick up on more things and he is watching and he's more observant on, you know, if I'm eating something, he'll want to eat that as well. So I need to make sure that, um, you know, the choices that I'm making are quote-unquote healthy choices um, for him to be able to to have as well um so yeah absolutely I'm, I'm more mindful that I just want to be around for them and I want to be able to run and you know chase them in the yard and things like that so um if anything that's that's my biggest motivation at the moment that's so nice to hear and I always think that too that that's always such a really big reason to pay attention to your diet and your lifestyle right now Mm. Again, back to like this beautiful opportunity to really make a difference in your health and your lifestyle and to reprioritize things. And I think um, what I was going to say before as well is that we always have time for what we prioritize. And so Mm. nutrition needs to be a priority for anybody listening to this podcast. I have to say, and I'm going to be firm on that. It needs to be a priority for all of us, all of us. And it doesn't mean you can only eat chicken and broccoli. That's not what this is about. This is about finding a healthy balance between including all of the nutritious foods and vegetables and stuff like that and making the whole food ideally like minimally processed stuff like the majority of your diet. But that is not to say you need to be a purist and that you need to cut out all junk food. Definitely don't need to cut out carbs. And you know, you can still have things that are delicious. We just need to find that healthy balance. And it's not about restricting your kids. It's none of that. It's just about knowing um, how to how to prioritize nutrition, how to make it easy, how to make it work for you, and how to make food not the enemy, so that it all just works for you and not against you, and you can reach those, you know, 
goals that you want to reach. And if your goal is just like healthy for life and just to feel good and feel like your best self, that's that's awesome. That's mm. all you need to be working towards. But do you have any particular goals that you are working towards? Um, well, one goal I have actively been working towards within the last few weeks is actually something that, that I've seen on your Instagram and that we discussed. Um, and I've, I've actually heard, um, a number of people kind of discuss on different podcasts is trying to incorporate at least 30 different, um, plant foods in a week. Um, and so I've really been making more of an effort to do that. So, um, and Ollie's actually been joining in and, my three-year-old loves salad all of a sudden, which is amazing. <laughs> um, so incorporating things like seeds into my breakfast and seeds on salad and, you know, different nuts and um, different veggies that I normally wouldn't buy. Um, so kind of moving out of my comfort zone a little bit um, and learning how to utilize different veggies. So that's that's been my goal and that's something I'm going to continue to work on, um, especially as I've been doing a lot more research into you know the gut microbiome and how that impacts on mental health and things like that um so that that's kind of a a a daily goal that I'm working towards but ultimately I mean I'm in all honesty I would love to lose weight um but I've always struggled with my weight um my body seems to kind of keep returning back to the weight that I am now um and although it's not you know class you know if we look at the BMI, it's not in the healthy range, but um, I'm feeling healthy. My bloods are all, you know, coming back good. Um, I think my goal at this this point is just to feel healthier and feel fitter. Um, so making sure I'm working my physio to get my back, you know, feeling good again, being able to exercise again, um, being able to go for longer walk um, rather than kind of putting a, a weight loss number um, as a goal. Um, so that's, that's what I'm working towards at the moment. Um, and that's fun because I can, I can involve Ollie in that as well. So that's, um, you know, a goal for the both of us to work on together. Those are such nice goals, particularly around including more plants into your diet. That is my favorite thing that I always share on Instagram. There's so many benefits to doing that. Like you said, around the gut microbiome, there is so much to gain from really enhancing your gut microbiome. And yeah, you can do lots of cool things like, trying to get three different colors of vegetables on your plate at your main meals. And of course, a toddler's going to get involved in that Loves kind it. of thing as well. <laughs> yeah. And buy the mixed packs of like the berries and mixed packs of beans and things like that. So you easily just like rack up a few more. Um, and I also just wanted to mention your toddler loving salads and things like that. It's all about what we impress upon them as well. Like mm. if we tell them salad and broccoli and stuff is gross, so like, oh, you have to eat this. Of course, they're going to be a bit suspicious. Yes. So. We just include them, make it fun, and show ourselves enjoying those sorts of foods. They will follow suit. Mm. Uh, not all the time. I'm not a mum, so I know that <laughs> there's still going to be stuff thrown on the floor. I'm not. I'm realistic about it, but at the same time, do the best that you can to set them up well. And in terms of having a weight loss goal and things like that, of course you can. It's your body. You get to decide what to do with it. And if that's purely aesthetic as well, that you want to drop some kilos, it's your body, you decide. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully you have all of the tools and the skills at the moment to know at least how to get yourself on the right path to do that. But I also really love your mindset in knowing that your health parameters are looking good. And that's the main thing. And that mm-hmm. weight loss is not a behavior. All these other things around it, they are the behaviors. And then weight is a byproduct of what we mm. do in terms of what we eat and how we move our body. So 
really love how you framed that. And yeah, I just, I could talk to you for hours, Elise. I think (laughs) you are a wealth of knowledge for everybody listening as well. And just such a beautiful role model for all of us. For all of us, thank you. Just listening to how proactive you are around seeking support and looking after your health and wanting to be such a good version of yourself that we can all look up to and especially for your boys. So thank you so much for sharing as much as you did. And is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think that we should? So I think that's everything. I um yeah, I I just I'm I appreciate the opportunity to come back and kind of talk about the second pregnancy and the second birth because it was really healing. And I think, um, you know, there was a lot of, there's a, a lot of me that was concerned about, you know, having a second baby because, you know, what if the same mm-hmm. thing happens with the first? And, and I know that a lot of, um, other people could relate to that. So, um, yeah, if there's anything that I could suggest is just like you said, ask all the questions. Um, make sure you've got a good team around you. You know, if it's not the hospital team, make sure you seek that support elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I think go into it, you know, having that, that apprehension is, is really normal, but, um, I feel like I went into this pregnancy really positive and open minded, um, and tried to kind of rationalize with myself a bit rather than letting that anxiety consume me. Um, so I think that's what led to a, a positive birth experience this time. So thank you for letting me share. Um, this with you. Absolute pleasure having you on. And you've kind of covered it, but I was going to say, what are your very best tips to give to anybody else going through it, whether that be the gestational diabetes pregnancy, whether that be going into birth, whether that be recovery or having just done the six-week follow-up oral glucose tolerance test, like wherever someone might be out in their journey, what's the very best tip that you can give them? Yeah. Ask all the questions. Um, you know, I scheduled in additional appointments. So, um, I wasn't routinely seeing a midwife because I was in the high risk clinic. So I sought an appointment with the midwife. Um, and it's always possible. You just need to ask. Um, and if you are offered a student midwife or you know of a student midwife, take them up on their offer. Because I think, um, for me, it was so nice to have that consistent person come along to appointments with me, particularly when, you know, my partner couldn't come because he was looking after Ollie. Um, it was nice to have someone to, to help kind of advocate for me or at least, um, kind of reaffirm my decisions. Um, and yeah, having her in the theater was amazing. Um, so if you do have the opportunity, definitely consider taking that up. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, well, thank you again. I will let you go now. And this has been the best chat. So thank you so much for coming on. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.